Hi there, and welcome to the Homeschool Sisters podcast. I'm Kate, and I'm a homeschooling mom doing this homeschool thing right beside you. I don't have it all figured out, but one thing I know for sure is that homeschooling is a lot easier when you have a sister by your side. Join me and other down-to-earth members of the homeschool community as we share the reality of what this homeschooling journey is really like. Hey, Sarah. Hey there. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Enjoying the quietness of the house. I know. Knock on wood right now. Yeah. I am so excited to have you on. I followed you for years, um, and I think you're a fellow New Englander. Yes, I am. Yes. Not. Yes. I was born in the South, and then we moved up here for my husband's work, and I am not leaving. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Even the winters? You're okay with the I do. I like the winters. I like the snow. I like that we have all four seasons, and it's not like a hot season and a not hot season. So yeah, I'm cool with the snow. I could do with a little bit, although we haven't really had snow, but a little bit less winter, just condensed. Yeah. We could just get rid of February or March. That would be fine. Go right into spring and summer. Just March is the the worst. March is always the worst. It's like (laughs) you you want it to be warm and no. And it's not. And everybody tells you it's going to be and it's, it never is. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes April isn't either. I know. So for people who don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Sarah. I have three kiddos. They are almost nine, six and a half, and almost four. And we have been homeschooling from the beginning. I have a background in education. I used to teach elementary school in Atlanta, and I taught kindergarten, first grade, and third grade. And I loved that. I loved my kids. I loved teaching. But it just started to become... I don't know, clear to me or something we started thinking about before we even had kids that there were so many more opportunities that kids could have that the school system wasn't providing. And that's when homeschooling came into our idea and we were thinking about it. And then we went there when we had kids. But I think there are so many things that we're able to do as homeschool families that I wish all kids had the opportunity to do. I can't control all the schools and all that. So we can only control what we have in front of us. Very privileged, I feel, and lucky to be able to homeschool them. So I've really enjoyed it. That's great. What I know there's no typical day when you're homeschooling, but what does homeschooling look like in your world? (laughs) Oh, gosh, homeschooling in our world has changed so much. Every phase, every stage, there's as soon as you think you know what you're doing, it's like flipped upside down. We had I feel like a good rhythm with we were doing unit studies and spending a lot of time outside when my oldest was kindergarten, first grade age. And then my youngest was born in that mix and that just threw everything off routine. And then COVID threw everything off routine. And so I feel like we've just been bouncing from one situation to the other and just trying to figure out what works. I'm very much a person who wants a five-year plan and we're going to loop through these like four-year history cycles and I'm going to map out all the things and then no, it just doesn't work that way. So now we are living in Connecticut. We recently moved about eight months ago, which was a whole thing in itself. And so I feel like we're trying to settle into this house and We have a very wild three-year-old who literally will hang from the chandelier. Like we broke the chandelier at our rental house because he would (laughs) swing from it. My husband has a video of we're doing morning time at the table and like I'm reading and drinking coffee and the two bigger kids are eating. And then there's my youngest swinging from the chandelier. And he's, I had to film this because you're just reading like nothing is happening. I'm like, this is just, that's how it goes. So... (laughs) We're in a stage right now where it's if we get our core things done, then I'm calling that a win. And if we get outside, like I'm calling that a win and we're just doing the best we can. And I know this is a phase and a stage 
and it'll change. It's real life over here. <laughs> yes, I love it. And I love how you said that it's since COVID you've been bouncing around because I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. It's, and I think there's yeah. going to be books that come out and yeah. we'll understand more about all that we've been through, like when we have some hindsight. But I feel like it is hard when COVID started, they were one age, like it was spanned a long time. That Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden you come out and you're like, wow, I have middle schoolers. Or right. No, we started COVID and my youngest was six months and that's one thing right and it's the wiping the groceries down because we didn't know what was happening at that time and now we're like COVID's over and I'm like oh he's almost four like where did those years go I don't know so I don't it's just it's been hard yeah my oldest was a swing on the chandeliers kid oh no (laughs) so I can relate to that stage yeah although mine was reversed so I had the that one first yeah (laughs) it's it's like a an unfair tease to have it like oh we've got the the not swing on the chandelier and then the loves to snuggle and listen to all the books middle child and then the like one who will come and snatch any chapter book out of your hand and throw it across the room we're not we're not doing a read aloud I'm sorry that's not happening (laughs) I love that yeah we have my oldest and then my daughter would fall asleep eating in her chair and she'd fall asleep on her play mat. And we were like, babies do actually do this. And yeah. then we had our third and we were like, are we, is this a gamble? What have we done? <laughs> yeah. No, they're um, great though. It's just, it's really fun seeing their personalities come out. And the more I start to listen to homeschoolers who have older kids to see where we're headed, it's, oh, they really are going to be like the same kind of person, just a little bit different. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. It's a lot of fun. I love talking to homeschoolers who started out homeschooling and then somehow it turned into some sort of business, which is what happened with me. And I never, I didn't even, the blog was something just for my like teacher friends. Yeah. <laughs> the fact yeah. that anyone ever read it. How did that get started for you with homes? Homes. I can't speak this morning. Homes. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> really similar. I feel like there's so many of us out there and I don't know if it's an INFJ thing, if it's like, I don't know, just type A, whatever it is that we were, I was sharing on Instagram for my own sake as like a kind of a journaling type thing. And I sometimes was public and sometimes was private. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what boundaries I want to set. And then I think right when COVID hit and everyone was all of a sudden teaching their kids at home, whether they were homeschooling or online or whatever, I had a lot of folks that were like, Sarah, what do I do? Or what do you do? And I'm like, all right, I can share. This is fine. This is fun. And it just morphed from there. And I feel really lucky that I have some friends, internet friends, Megan at School Nest is a good internet friend. And she's Sarah, you need to do this and share what you know and get it out there. And it's just grown from there. And it was accidental that I ended up like consulting and now I have support groups and like, I'm going to launch a course and I'm like, what am I doing? And at the same time, I love it. And it feels really fun to have this avenue that's like not the mom avenue and not the homeschool and not running a household, but like something that ignites passion in me. And like, I love helping other people and it's just been so much fun. And for me, the hardest part is, okay, I have all these ideas. And I also have three kids who are still young and we have to homeschool. And so finding balance is really hard, but it's a fun kind of challenge. Yes. I love it. It reminds me you were, before we came on, you were talking about how you had listened to the Vanessa episode. Yes. That's something that Vanessa said. You're, it's so important to have that thing that's yours that you're creating so that you, yeah, you just, your bucket is filled. And also when this phase ends, you have something, you're not just, what am I going to do when I grow up? You have a little I know. something to fall back upon. Listening to her, it just, it felt so 
we need more voices like that. I felt so reassuring. I felt like she was talking. Um, But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to go too far in right now because I do have young kids who really still need a lot of one-on-one and direct instruction and trying to say, okay, these are some ideas that maybe five years from now, they'll be a better fit and just not doing all the things because that's what I like to do. (laughs) Yes. It can be hard to not do all the ideas that are in your head, but I like that you have that perspective that, you know, five-year plan. But I found that courses were really fun. And yeah, are you doing like a pre-recorded? Yeah. So I'm getting ready to launch a course on, there goes my alarm. What's for dinner? I don't know. (laughs) Good question. Thank you, Siri. Dinner every night. We have to feed them and they don't, they don't like food. And so that's fun. The question though, what was the courses? Okay. So I am getting ready to launch a foundational reading instruction course on Teachable, and it's like a self-paced video-based course. And I've taken some of your courses, and I'm like, oh, I can do this. And this is more my speed. You know, I can just watch it at my own pace and all that. So I'm excited to do this because I feel like I have been getting so many questions that are like the same question over and over again. I'm like, all right, how can I just answer this one time and make better use of my time and still support the homeschool community, which I'm really passionate about doing. I love the homeschool community. They're like finding and connecting with folks online. It sounds cheesy to be like, oh, my internet friends, but they are. They're my internet friends. They're like closer friends than some other folks. I'm excited to be able to share my knowledge with others and really support people. Because I know with teaching reading, there is a lot of overwhelm and for good reason, because teaching reading is rocket science. It's not easy. And teachers in the classroom and schools are going through this whole figuring it out thing right now. And homeschoolers, like I really do believe that most parents can teach their child to read if given the right tools. And I want to help clear through the weeds and say like, all right, here we go. Like, here's what you need. And then you go and do what works for your family with that. Cause there's not one right or wrong way to do it, but there is a lot that we can glean insight from. So I'm excited to launch it. Yeah. I'm excited to have you on to talk about this because it's a question I get all the time. And with the courses, I did the same thing. Like I was getting the same questions and I was sending what felt like the same emails over and like, over. How do over. I game I school? Like, like, how can I like help more people, but also I'm busy and I have three kids and yeah, I and was, stay sane. Um, I was probably at the stage that you were. I'm trying to think. I don't even know. It's too early for math, but it was just, <laughs> I could never do something live at that point in my life. It just yeah. seemed like like someone's gonna run through, not totally wearing what they yep. should. And yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, can you tell us? I get a ton of questions about how do you teach reading and also. I think there's a lot of pressure for when we should be teaching reading and for the people that want to be more relaxed, when do I worry? Yeah. That was kind of a lot, but I think- No, those are great. And that's what I'm hearing on Instagram and social media. There's so many great things about social media and there's also just so much (laughs) not great. So weeding through that. So with reading instruction, it's really interesting because we're at this crossroads in society as a whole right now with how reading instruction is happening in a traditional classroom. And then we have to, there, that's going on. And we also have, we're homeschooling and that's totally different in so many good ways. But we know from like decades of research at this point, how kids learn how to read. And it's rocket science in some ways, and it's not rocket science in other ways. We know from research that structured literacy is really important for most children. And what that means is like using a program that has, we're going to teach this week and we're going to move through systematically a like scope and sequence or a table of contents, if you will, of what skills we're going to teach. 
And we know that kids need direct or explicit instruction in phonics in particular and some of the reading skills. And so we know that and we can take that and throw that into some curricula and then use those curricula as homeschool parents. And I think sometimes curriculum can get a bad rap in the homeschool world. We really don't want to do school at home because homeschooling is very different. And at the same time, we can pull some of these best practices, if you will, and use what is out there that we know works in our homeschool, but in a way that meets like the kid in front of us and their needs. And I think sometimes we see on Instagram is I'm going to surround my kid by beautiful, rich books. We're going to do nursery rhymes. We're going to do morning basket and they're going to learn how to read. Sometimes that works. There's about 5% of the kids who will just start to learn to read with being exposed to the world. In a classroom setting, that would be called the whole language approach. There's another 50% of kids who really need that like phonics, A says ah, let's blend them together with A, T, T, at, all that kind of work. At least 50% of kids have to have that. And then we have this other kind of group. It's about 35% of kids who with some general teaching of phonics and reading, they'll pick it up pretty quickly, but they still benefit from the whole scope and sequence and like a real program. And so for homeschool parents, we can take all that and we can say, all right, I should choose a reading curriculum. And I've got a whole list on my website about like different curricula that I recommend and what might be a good fit for you because there is no one right fit for everybody. We can take that and then we can start there and see where our kid needs to go with that program. So we know from the teacher world that reading instruction should be diagnostic and prescriptive. And so really what that means, like Maria Montessori says, follow the child, right? We should see what they know and what they need to know and teach it. And so Mm -hmm. we can take the curriculum and we can use that as our guide. And then if your kid needs more practice, and a lot of kids do, like that's very normal, we can slow it down. And if a kid is picking it up really well, like we can keep going. But I do think it's important to actually work through a curriculum and, you know, oh, I think they're reading now, like we're good. Because down the road, when we hit that like third, fourth grade transition of learning to read to reading to learn, sometimes kids who picked up reading really naturally and quickly at the beginning start to struggle when the words become longer, there's more multisyllabic words, or now spelling is a challenge because they can't necessarily spell the words or write the words that they have in their brain. And so then there's this whole like writing shutdown because I don't want to write on the paper because the things I have to say are so much more advanced than what I'm actually able to write down and not be embarrassed about. And so then they shut down there. It's like long story short, right? We need to use a reading curriculum and that's okay. And so even if you are an unschooling family or a more relaxed family, like we can find a program that works and you just do it slowly or you incorporate it into play-based activities. It's, oh, we're working on blending sounds today. You don't have to do that on a worksheet. You could do that with toys in your family room or whatever, but finding a way to make it work for you while still following what we know about how kids learn to read. I love that. And I love how you brought up the decades of research because yeah, it's like decades that, that frustrated me working in schools. And I'm sure you felt the same, especially being a reading specialist is like, why a lot of times you're just like, why are we doing it this way? Because yeah. like when they yeah. went a whole language, I forget what years those were when the, all the public, like the nineties, I think. Yeah. yeah. And all these kids just were like, I just, we just 
lost them. <laughs> we did. And you know what? We still are. I'm like super passionate about reading education in general, even when I was like in the classroom. And now I'm a big fan of public schools and traditional schools. And like, we need to support those kids as best as possible. But we're seeing this like awakening in the school system. Emily Hanford from APM did a series of posts and blogs and podcasts, I guess, a couple mm -hmm. years back, but now she just released a series called Sold a Story. And it's basically about what is happening in American public schools. And I think anybody who has a kid who's learning how to read or a kid in a school system should listen to it because it's really eye-opening as to how we got to this place where we see these national statistics, like 60% of fourth graders don't read proficiently. And it's okay, but why? And what can we do about that? Because that's not normal, right? 10 to 15% of a population is going to be dyslexic and struggle, but even those kids can learn how to read. It's We need to be looking more at the root cause of it all. And there's just, it's, it's amazing that like teachers in the classroom are just now getting these decades of research. <laughs> I didn't know that existed. Like, why are we doing it the other way? Why? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. I, so I have a couple questions, but what I, a question I get a lot is when, I know this is hard because you're talking the third grade and fourth grade was when I was like my referrals just spiked because yep. all those kids that were doing great or are fluent readers but maybe aren't getting the comprehensive comprehension side. Kate needs more coffee this morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that became so difficult. We don't want to get to that point and then have that happen for our family, but we also don't want to push a kid who's not developmentally ready because yeah. some are a little bit later so yeah you know, absolutely the balance there it's really tricky right because it's kid by kid and i think you know, when people ask me what age should i start teaching reading i typically say between five and six year old you should begin reading instruction and for a lot of kids closer to six is totally fine and beginning then means you're not going to be fluently reading for a couple of years. Some of the red flags I look out for when I'm working with my own kids or consulting clients is if you have a kid who is about five-ish and you've been doing playful early literacy things like alphabet puzzles or nursery rhymes and saying a nursery rhyme but leaving off a word to see if they can fill it in based off of the past, like clapping syllables, all of that kind of thing. If you have a kid who's been exposed to that a lot and they're five and still are struggling to identify like the letters in their name or if you say cat hat pig which two rhyme and they just look at you like i don't know what you're talking about those are some red flags from early on that you know are worth exploring and then maybe starting a program earlier so that you give that child time to really build up their phonemic awareness which is basically how we hear words and how we can manipulate the sounds in words because that's a really important predictor for future reading so if we notice okay something's not quite right here we've been doing this abc puzzle or like playing this game with bean bags and they're like just no that's a triangle or it's an apple and it's like an a okay so that's that happens and we can throw in some phonemic awareness activities or start a really gentle program like pinwheels. And I have a whole bunch of recommendations on my website for like kind of what to do in that situation. The other side of this is I think we see a lot on Instagram and I fell into this too, where it's, we want our kids to have this beautiful and rich childhood and they're outside and they're playing. And I am all for that. And that is why we homeschool. I wanted my kids to be outside. I wanted them to play and they do a lot of that. But if we wait, until a kid is ready and it's like they're six or they're seven and they're like, I'm not, no, I don't want to do this. 
sometimes that's a sign that it's hard for them and we should listen to that. So if it's something that's really hard for them and they're six or seven, it probably isn't going to get easier for them as they get older. And so then we really want to jump in and again, pick a curriculum and start following it through. Even if you have a kid who's dyslexic, no matter what age or a struggling reader, you don't need a diagnosis to see if a kid in front of you is struggling. The strategies are all the same for how we teach them. We are gonna pick a program. We're gonna follow the program. We're gonna slow it down and add in more fluency practice, more games, more opportunities to practice those skills before adding on new skills. And so if a parent has a six or a seven-year-old and they haven't started reading instruction, that's fine. But I would encourage them to start looking into it and pick something that might be a good fit and get moving on the process. Because a lot of the clients I work with are kids who are 10 and 11, and maybe they did a different approach and they were just waiting for the kid to be ready. And the kid was never ready. <laughs> They're like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm fine. And now all of a sudden, they're 10 and 11 and their friends are reading chapter books or graphic novels and they're reading bob books and while they can learn to read and they will learn to read and i have seen it happen the impact on their self-esteem and their confidence and the trickle-down effect to how it impacts their other areas of study or their own interest is sad and it's hard for the parents the parents are blaming themselves which they shouldn't be this is hard we're all figuring this out together but we can prevent that if we just start a little bit earlier with the reading instruction should we be doing reading instruction before five no in my opinion that does not benefit anybody a four-year-old even if they are a very smart kid and i have smart kids you have smart kids we all have very smart kids being intellectually capable of learning how to read is really different than being developmentally and socially ready to read. Sitting a kid down when they're four, especially a young boy, they're like, no, I gotta go, I'm out the door. <laughs> so I do think it's really important to hold space for that childhood and let them have those playful experiences and then begin the reading a little bit later. But it doesn't need to be a sit down at the desk and we're gonna do a formal boring phonics lesson every day. We can make it work for our family. And that's what I do with my consulting work is I know what works for my family and I've worked with a lot of other families. So I can see, oh, you're a Montessori approach or you're Waldorf or you're classical or whatever. And we can still work within those frameworks and follow the research at the same time. And so there's a, to make it work for everybody, even if we're not doing things the same way. I love that. And so a lot of times with those kids that are reluctant and don't, don't want to maybe seem like they're not ready and they're getting older. Are there ways that we can help them in the early years before we start formal instruction so that they are more ready or more because reading is so hard. It's yeah. like you're decoding something. You have to work at it to be good at it. Yeah. So where is the motivation to want to? Yeah. And I think that's really, can be really tricky. I have my son, my oldest, who is an avid reader now. He's walks down the stairs reading books. I'm like, no, that's not safe. You, it's no, did not want to learn how to read. Like he was not having it. And we started at five. I'm like, I was a former kindergarten teacher. It's kindergarten. We're going to do this. And he could do it, but it was like pulling teeth. And I was like, all right, we're just going to table this. And we came back almost a year later to when he was six. And he was like, okay, let's do this. I want to read this Star Wars book, or I want to be able to read the words in this card game or whatever it is. And so he had found a motivation. And I was like, all right, I know you don't like these reading lessons. I get that. They're boring. It's not fun. But look at all these things that you want to do. Like we can get there together and I'll help you. I'm going to partner with you. You're not going to do this on your own. 
but it's going to be a process. And then we've built in a lot of rewards in our family, just naturally. We're working with pinwheels right now. My daughter knows that like when she finishes pinwheels level two, year one, she's going to get to go on a date with mama and we're going to go to the bookstore and she's going to pick out a book. And so she's really looking forward to that. And we're putting stickers on a chart and everything. And I think for her, so every day she starts our day. I hate reading. I don't want to do reading. Is it going to be a short reading lesson? And I'm finally just, yeah, it's going to be short. It's like the same time every day, but short, <laughs> cool. It's short. What would you like to do during our reading lesson? And usually she wants to play a game. And so we'll start with a game and build that connection in first and then dive into stuff. And so for her, like finding what makes brings her joy, right? During a reading lesson that she doesn't like is a way to bring her in, even though she's reluctant and is not really wanting to do it. It's hard she knows, I remind her a lot. You see your brother reading. I know you want to be able to read those books. You're going to be an awesome reader. Look how much you've already grown. And I'll show her videos of her reading very simple books and it being really hard. And she just beams and lights up. And so I think if we can show them their growth, if we can show them the benefit and where they're going, and even sometimes throw in an external reward or motivation, if that's what does it, I'm okay with that. Because I don't know, reading is so important in my life. And I grew up being a reader and I want my kids to be readers, but it's not necessarily like fun and games all the time. And I think it's important too for them. Like I, when you were saying that she looks at her brother and sees where he's at, I can remember my youngest sitting with, he had the fantastic, was it fantastic Mr. Fox? I think it was chapter book and he could only read sight words and he had a yeah. bookmark and everything. Yeah. And every night he would be like, the is at, <laughs> and he put his bookmark in. He felt so bad, but I think getting them to fall in love and he knew the story because we had read right. it aloud, like getting them to fall in love with yes that, that end goal and the story and the being able to do that independently was such a thing that he yeah. wanted to do. We do a lot of shared reading and partner reading too. So my oldest, he wanted to read How to Train a Dragon. I thought he was probably there, but not quite sure. There's a lot of vocabulary in it. So we, I was like, look, let's partner read with this. Like he read every other paragraph. Or initially I read a page and then he read a paragraph and I read a page and he read a paragraph. And then it's, okay, I think we could do like every other paragraph. And that's what we did. And we went through the whole book. And now he's reading like the whole rest of the series on his own because we like built up that confidence. And with my daughter, it's similar. She loves elephant and piggy books and she can sound out some of the words in there now. And so we'll just read and I'll pause when there's a word she can read and she can jump in and read it and pulling in ways where we can support them. And if they really want to read fantastic Mr. Fox and they're only reading the sight words, cool. I'll read the words in between for you and pulling in audio books. And just, there's so many ways that we can read. I tell my youngest that there's three ways to be a reader. You can read the words, you can read the pictures, or you can retell the story. And so he'll go and read and he's just flipping through the books and looking at the pictures and whatnot. But, oh, I love how you're reading. That's awesome. Tell me about what you're looking at and just supporting them, you know, where they are. I know Julie Bogart talks a lot about catching our kids being writers and authors and celebrating that. And we can do the same thing with reading. It's catch them being readers and celebrate that. And it's, oh yeah, you read the sign over there. Yep, that's Target. You're right, yeah. awesome reading. Like We always that kind called of thing. that reading too. I'd never thought about that before, but we would always just call it reading. So everybody had a le- level playing field. And yeah, yeah. we had this huge basket of like from Scholastic Book 
Yeah, the, yeah. Like little audiobooks, the little yes. uh, flimsy ones. So we had those and the kids would come down every morning, my little two, and they would take books out and just listen together. Like they did Jazz Fly was one. There was like certain ones that they did every single day, Frog and yeah. Toad. They weren't always following along. They were on the right page. They weren't always with the right yeah. words, but eventually yeah. like they got there and that was their reading. Yeah, absolutely. Did. And that's what we do at the end of the day. The kids have reading time and my daughter and my youngest son will do their Yodo players or we have some of those like Usborne, I have it right here, where you, you can scan the oh. QR code and it will yes. read the book. It's like the new version of the Scholastic like books on CD. <laughs> but yeah, we love that. And it's such an easy way to everyone's a reader. Even it's not, I don't know. Yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox or whatever. <laughs> Not where you want to be. Uh, right. Yeah. My, my youngest also used to play this game Gubs with me that they don't even have in prints anymore. So every time I mention this, people are like, I went to find it for some reason, game right took it out of print and it's not a reading game anyway. So it didn't matter. But I think the point is that if they're motivated. He loved yeah. that game so much. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. He wanted to figure out the words and he did. And I feel like that was like his carrot just to make it. Fun. Yeah. Whereas my oldest. Other... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. My oldest, and it wasn't gobs or gubs, but I was listening. He was learning how to read the same time I was listening to those podcasts from you guys. And it was the Minecraft like books that like walk you through how to like play different parts of Minecraft. And he was like, I got to read this. I got to learn how to do this. I'm like, cool. Yes. Go for yeah. it. And then he got into Dungeons and Dragons and he was reading all the campaigns and, and he was older then. But I think it's good to find that thing. Like I, I have friends who their kids would be reading Captain Underpants and they'd be like, yeah. I don't like, I hate it. But if he made them a reader, like if it, like, who cares? <laughs> they'll, they can read other things later as long as they're reading something that's really awesome yeah. or Calvin and Hobbes or whatever it is that they're yeah. attracted to. Um, okay. So a lot of people ask me about Finland <laughs> and how they don't start <laughs> teaching till age seven. And I think there's yep. some caveats there because I've read that they have closed captioning on their TV. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but I had read some articles that indicated that was standard. That they yeah. Do. So um, I haven't so read that part, but I, and the Finland stuff, it drew me in when I first started homeschooling too. I'm like reading all this stuff and we love a lot of the Waldorf methodology. I'm like, oh, maybe we'll just wait. And it's interesting because when we actually dive into Finland and how they teach reading and how their society is built, their language is very phonetic. It means we don't have all these rules and exceptions to the rules about when words, like we have the C can be a soft sound in English if you put this letter here and these two letters can make this sound up there at the end, but not at the beginning and like all those things. Finnish is very phonetic. It's very blended together and you read the word, cool. So it's easier to learn Finnish. A lot of kids in Finland actually enter school already knowing how to read. There is a very high rate of literacy and education in general in the adult population and parents are teaching their kids how to read at home. And so they get to school and yeah, they don't teach reading in school until seven or eight, but the kids are already reading. And there are a lot of wonderful things about the Finnish school, but I, it, we can't really compare the United States and all the diversity that we have in our schools and in our own homeschool families to Finland. And Mora over at Rooted in Language also just did this two series like 
reel or blog post or something on Finland, like kind of diving into that research. So definitely check that out because it was really interesting to see her sum it up as well. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, I'm going to include that in the show notes. And Yeah, it was really it interesting. Too. I was like, yes, somebody else is talking about this. <laughs> yes. And they also have the, I forgot what it's called, but they have the, like the free date or not, maybe it's not free, but the daycare system that starts yeah. at age four. And yeah. so they might not be explicitly teaching reading, but their, their kids are in a that door, classroom they're setting. outdoors a lot, yeah. but like they're in a classroom setting earlier than some of our kids are too. Yeah. Get it that way too. So our, I was recently talking with Kim John Payne, who wrote Simplicity Which is Parenting. crazy. I love him. <laughs> I love him. But we were talking about the pressure that our country puts on parents for being able to read in kindergarten. Yeah. And not, I would say most children are not reading in kindergarten. <laughs> and we didn't used to even... It wasn't, I don't even know if it's still required in New Hampshire. We may still be one of the states where it's not necessarily like- The freer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is a fairly recent yeah. thing where we're expecting that in kindergarten. Because I know my kindergarten was, we, I can remember having sheets of paper and we were supposed to like circle the S's and we were like reading stories and singing songs and stuff yeah. like that. Very yeah. different than what my oldest and my daughter had when they, when they dabbled yeah. in it. <laughs> So what would you say about that? Do they have Ugh, to be seated at no, a desk? No, they shouldn't be. I taught kindergarten for a couple of years and it was really interesting. There were almost 18 or 19 kindergarten classrooms in the school that I taught in. And you could see the teachers who have been teaching for a long time, the brand new teachers, the teachers who are in between. And there was definitely a lot of push to pull out like the play kitchens and get rid of the blocks and all of the dress ups and all that stuff because we had to get down and teach these kids how to read we had no child left behind telling us they need to be reading at a level c or d or whatever it is at the end of the year and all that pressure coming down i think julie bogart has a podcast on this too how we like the pressure pushes all the way down to preschool kids don't need to be reading in a kindergarten classroom i just i don't that is a good use of their time or our time as parents, I see a lot of friends. We recently moved from outside of Boston, which is a very scholarly area, lots of Ivy League friends and whatnot. And that's great. I'm all for academics. However, when we're having our four-year-old go to enrichment to learn how to read and like after their pre-K program, and so they're in preschool and then they're doing enrichment learning so that they know how to read going into kindergarten. Yeah, they're smart and they can do this. And my kid can do this too, but what are we taking away when we're put, pushing that in? It's Do we still have time for the outside play and the creativity and the chance to get bored and all of that? Maybe, but maybe not. Kids, if we wait till they're like five and a half closer to six, so starting reading instruction like later in the year in kindergarten or really even in first grade, unless we see red flags for dyslexia or whatnot, most kids are going to do fine and they might even learn faster at that point because they're more developmentally ready and we've given this opportunity to have a childhood and play and explore and all of that so i love kim john payne i'm totally on board with that it's hard right we have to find the sweet spot of we don't want to wait too long right. but we don't want to start too early either and so as much as i like to tell folks do what works for you and there's so many different ways to do it it's true but with reading we really want to find that sweet spot of close to six to start but that still gives us time in kindergarten to do nothing if you're homeschooling or do yeah. everything if you want to. Or just expose them to books and yeah. well, expose them to the them world and, and play games for like silly word games. Yeah, and exactly. And, like that. and then what if you have a kid who is a whole language learner 
who just picks it up. What speaking for my, we are an anomaly where yeah, my husband and I both read, learned early. My first word was book. Yeah. So my kids read early and I can remember, and I didn't, I wasn't teaching them. So when we were in a play-based preschool, I had a couple parents who, and we're in not far from Boston. So we're yep. in a community like that with a lot of driven, well-educated parents. And they would constantly say, so what are you teaching? What are yeah. you doing at home? Do you have to explicitly teach those kids a lot? I don't know how to phrase this. I know. Yeah. Do they need to be taught essentially yes. if they're already yeah. doing it? Yeah. No, this is a tricky question, right? Because every kid is different. And so, yeah, some kids, it's if we look at the numbers, it's about 5% of the population are going to just naturally learn how to read if exposed to all the things. And that's wonderful. And those kids will probably continue to do well. Sometimes they start to have asynchronous skills as they get older, where maybe writing or spelling are more of a challenge, but reading is still great. And so for those kids, do we have to have an explicit systematic program for them? Maybe not, but would they benefit from it still? Yes, because we know that all kids will benefit. Even if it's, okay, we're gonna just zoom through all about reading, like levels one through four in the next six months, I just wanna cover my bases. Let's do some spelling with it. Check your boxes so that you know you did it and move on. If they're already reading, they're like eight, nine years old, then that's where you wanna say, okay, what do they need? What instruction do they need now? And I do have a course on like literacy assessments for homeschoolers that says, okay, look, what does your kid need? We're pulling in the, the benchmark systems from the public school setting, but translating them into like, how can we use this to figure out what my kid needs to review, what they know really well and where to begin instruction. And so if you have a kid who's already reading, and you're like, okay, you're telling me all this structured literacy stuff, but I'm already reading. We're cool, Sarah. Maybe you are, but maybe they need help with spelling and then go from yep. there. Yes, you know, so we have the unique advantage to see exactly what our kid needs and then teach them that thing. They're not having to wait for their turn in a classroom setting. Yes, exactly. I can remember being in kindergarten and he, so he was reading and I, and he was causing disruptions <laughs> in the classroom. <laughs> so I was like, just give him a book. And they kept telling me that he was reading fluently, but he wasn't comprehending. And I think it's important for parents to know your kid. Cause I knew he was comprehending because of what yeah. he was talking about. Yeah. And that's why we ended up homeschooling and it was all great, but we did work on slowing down. He's a kid that goes fast. So he would yeah. want to know what, and he, what happened there and what that means. So we focused more on comprehension stuff, even though he was understanding it, just going deeper with it. Yeah. Um, and you want to make, I relied on the standard so much just to make myself feel better. Is, yeah. Like, did we cover this? Okay. We're supposed to know this. We're supposed to learn about New Hampshire this year. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I think it's just important to meet the kid in front of you. And I wanted to, the, dys, the dyslexic piece. So for yeah. the parents who have true dyslexics who are yeah. need very specific instruction, can you, so the very first person that I met here, I think I told this story on sisters before, was my neighbor knew of another neighbor. We're on a very busy road. So like you would not know <laughs> our neighbors necessarily who was homeschooling her son. And we are a very good district, but her, she figured out that her son was in seventh grade and they were pulling him out for dyslexia, but they weren't using the programs that yeah. he needed. So he couldn't even recognize his name consistently in print in seventh grade. That's and I'm really telling sad. this story because she pulled him to homeschool. She actually got this dist They had a whole kerfuffle with the district and the yep. district was going to pay to send him. It ended up yep. the district was wrong. They were going to pay a lot to send him 
to Landmark, which yeah. is far from here. So that yeah, way she is. would have had less time <laughs> with him and they were going to pay for it, which is huge. Cause yeah, but she decides like on a whim, I'm going to take him out. I'm going to homeschool him. And so when I met them, he was, a, I think a sophomore in high school and he was taking dual enrollment college classes. That's so amazing. Just, what would you say to the dyslexic parents who are like, oh, like, it, are we going to be okay? Yes. Sort of uh, okay. So this is where I love, this is what got me into consulting because I love being this like middle person between my kid is dyslexic or I think they're dyslexic and they're telling me that I need thousands of dollars of tutoring or the landmark school, or I need <laughs> to put no them in school. <laughs> no. And it's hard to get into as well. Right. Like there, mm-hmm. there's just not space for it. Or parents are feeling like the only option is to put their kid in school. And if that's the option for your family, like by all means, like that is a solid option. However, I really think that parents can do reading instruction at home, even with our dyslexic kid, you just need the right level of support. And so there are a lot of programs out there. I really like Pinwheels and the Rooted in Language Ladies for dyslexic intervention because they're going through all the different steps and they're moving at a slow pace and you have all these like fluency opportunities built in. Whereas some other programs, you know, all about reading, logic of English, they're also very good programs but they move a lot faster. And then you have to go and supplement with, oh, we need more phonemic awareness or, oh, they need more practice here. And so that can get challenging because then you're juggling like five different printouts and you're like, I don't know which one to do today. And finding something that works for your kid and just moving, like you think you need to go slow, you just have to go even slower and find those ways to pull in games and multi-sensory things. And kids will get there. I've seen it with my own clients where they're like, they've made a few tweaks, like what seem like minor tweaks. And they're like, all of a sudden they're reading. I'm like, yes, this is all, this is what we need to be doing. And kids in public school sitting settings might not be getting this either. Just when I was teaching, we weren't allowed to say dyslexia. Like they didn't want that mentioned because <laughs> then they would have to support it. Yeah. Yes. That, Cause then you such... needed an Orton Gillen, Gillingham. Yeah. You have, they would be. It costs money. IP. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Which is so um, sad, but that's, it's really yeah. sad, yeah. but you can. So, you know, as a parent, even if you're homeschooling, you can go to the school system for evaluations. We did that with all of our kids because I like data. I was like, look, just do all the things. And sometimes schools might push back about that a little bit. Oh, your kid isn't enrolled here. Legally, they are required to evaluate your child if you submit it in writing. And there's, if you suspect your kid might have dyslexia, but you want to get more information, there are groups like Decoding Dyslexia, and there's one for each state, and they're on Facebook, and they are like a wealth of knowledge, and will be like, this is what you need to say, and this is how you need to phrase it, and kind of point parents out. But I really do think that parents can, for the most part, work with their own kid who is dyslexic and let's just get on it and let's get moving. And there are ways we can do it. And your kid will be able to, one of my clients, they were assessed somewhere and they were like, your kid's never going to read. And I'm like, no, they're like eight. What do you mean your kid's never going to read? Who would say that? It's going to be hard, but let's not say no, they're never going to read. Just no, don't do that. (laughs) No. That's really discouraging. Yeah. I'm like, don't say that. <laughs> You're wrong. Was that public school or was that like they were paying for it out of pocket? It was a was like that- out of pocket paid thing. Oh. And I think this is, ties into a, a bigger point too, right? There are so many voices out there that are going to tell you what to do for reading, for writing, for math, for whatever it is. And really important for us to look through what lens those people are speaking from, right? So are they giving us reading instruction from the perspective of a homeschool parent from the perspective of a particular education philosophy. That's great. Like we can listen to what they have to say, but also 
just see our, I don't think everyone needs to have a background in teaching to, to teach your kids at all. But if we're taking advice from somebody, just know where they're coming from and maybe the why behind it and follow up on their resources. I have all of my research and resources like on my website. I want to be like really transparent about where I'm getting these things because it feels like a big role when you have a following and people listening to you and you have an audience. If I mess up, I'm going to say it. I don't want to yeah. be telling somebody to do something that impacts their child's future. Mm -hmm. Just even some of the specialists check up on their credentials and where they're coming from and, and don't let them tell you your kid won't be able to read. That's right. No, not cool. I just love the idea of slowing down because the thing that this mom had said that he was getting pulled out so much because he really need yeah. the reading instruction, even though what they were providing wasn't working, that he was missing all of his cork. Yeah. Like they were taking him out of science. They were taking him out of math because they had to, like whenever it fit. And then you miss so much. So you do. reading is so important to make sure that you're getting, you're covering all your bases yeah. so that they can flourish once, once it clicks. And that's my favorite developmental milestone is when it really is. It's, it's magical. Magic. It really is. Even your own kids. I'm like, wait, I did this. Like I taught yes. you how to read. It's just as awesome. <laughs> it's it's more awesome. And if we have a kid that's struggling with reading, like we just jump in and support them with the science and the social studies and the writing, mm -hmm. right? Like they don't have to be reading all the things like it's really hard. It's a lot of work. And so it's exhausting mm -hmm. if you are struggling with reading. So then we can jump in and read aloud and listen to history quest on in the car ride. Like it doesn't have to be exactly. all heavy. Exactly. And I think that's one of the best things about homeschooling is that if you have a kid who is struggling in any area or to understand, like you can, the reading aloud is so huge and you can cover it that way and through conversations in a way that you really can't in a classroom of 20 yeah, kids. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, can you tell us a little bit more about your site and what you're offering now and then what the course is going to look like? Because I know we, yeah. we briefly mentioned it, but <laughs> <laughs> so it's constantly evolving and I'm constantly trying to figure out like what I can actually handle on my plate right now. <laughs> I am offering consulting for homeschool parents for both literacy consulting and then curriculum consulting. So I am a curriculum junkie. Like I've got all the things. They're not all great for me, but they are good for somebody else. And a lot of those clients are like they have a unique situation or they've got these kids with these different neurodivergent needs. What should I do? I'm like, all right, cool. I can tell you what to do. Easy. Boom. And that's really fun for me. And then <laughs> literacy consulting, that's when I get clients who have kids who are struggling with, maybe they're coming from one curriculum. Maybe they didn't use a curriculum, whatever reason, doesn't matter. Here's a plan. Let's figure out what they need. Let's make a plan. And how are we going to get there? And so that's where I work with them about coming up with a step-by-step -step action plan and what your week and your day will look like. That's really fun too, because I get to see the growth and I, you can almost see this like out breath from the parents, right? It's like, yeah, you can do this. You don't need to go pay a thousand dollars a week or a month for tutoring. Don't do that yet. Like maybe, but don't do that yet. I'm also doing some support groups right now, which is really fun. I don't know if I'm going to be offering more of those in the fall, but we'll see. <laughs> and I'm like, I have all these things, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I have a literacy assessment course, which sounds scary, but it's not, I promise. That's really more of a, am I on the right? Am I doing enough? Is my kid okay? This will answer those questions for you. And then my foundational reading course is about to come out in beta mode this summer. I'm going to drop one module a week until I get it all figured out. But I really want to get that out there because I think a lot of folks are asking for it and I'm excited to, to share that.
I love that. I'm excited for you. Lots of good things. I know. It's lots of fun things. My kids are like, what are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> I'm like teaching other homeschool families how to read. And they're like, you don't know what you're doing. I'm like, I don't know. I think I do, but we'll find out. They're always so encouraging. I know. <laughs> I think it's yeah. so good to, for them to see us working too. I can remember when my when COVID first started and my husband was working from home for a little bit and seeing patients virtually. And he was like, yeah. you can't come in here. It's just hippo. You can't be coming in. <laughs> And I was like, this is what I said with sisters. And they always like busted it. Yeah, like, right. Hey, mom. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have a granola bar. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. My husband works from home now. And it's, I don't know if you saw that. It went around during COVID where the guy was like in the meeting and the baby came in and like the walker yes. and the mom. Yeah. I'm like, that is us, yeah. but both ways. And so it feels a little yeah. bit like the playing field is level a little bit. He like, was always okay. like, are you guys always this loud? I was like, yes, you're not usually here. Like this, this is just... <laughs> You think of us on a normal day when we're not schooling. We are just loud. They're loud. Yeah, I know. It's always funny when my son is like peeking around the corner and I'm like on a call or something. And I'm like, no, I'm like being grown up me, not like mom me. Like, go, don't watch. Like, I, have, I have a friend who started working from home during COVID and she got a little red light and put it outside her where her office or wherever that's she smart. was. And they listened. I was like, that's genius. Oh. I wish I had thought of that in the beginning. We're recording right now and do not... Halt. <laughs> yeah. As a teacher, when we would do like our reading groups, I had a hat thing that I'd put on. So don't interrupt if I'm wearing the hat. That didn't work, but that was a similar idea. I love it. I also, before we go to rapid fire, I also like how you said, if you, I forget how you phrased it, but if you want to do tutoring or something like that, and if that's in your budget, that's okay too. And I think that's yeah. important for parents to know that if there's something that's really stressing you out and you can afford to get help or you can switch with someone else who's more yeah. confident is hugely important. Absolutely. That us with math at a certain yeah. point where I was just like, we're outsourcing. Yeah. I think outsourcing is so valuable. It doesn't mean that I think parents sometimes think, oh, I'm a failure to like some, maybe it's not mm -hmm. that strong of a word, right? But if I can't do this all, it's like, no, like we can still do it and get help. I don't know. Andrew Pudwa is going to teach writing to my son, like through video. And yes. I'm like, this is great. Go for it like you're gonna do awesome so yeah. yeah if tutoring is in your budget and it's something you want to do like absolutely go for it sometimes teaching our own children so much harder than teaching somebody <laughs> else's kid it's just so much harder and yeah do whatever works for your family and what you need to do it's amazing how that goes <laughs> yeah like i'm teaching my daughter who is like me and it's yeah, my my daughter and I always butt heads over math. I would try so hard. We'd have like good months, and then all of a sudden it would just be like, Psh. and now she's trying public school this year. The teacher's like, she's a delight. There's been no drama. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, awesome. Like, I'm so glad. Good. So yeah. glad for her. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna switch to rapid fire. If you're awesome. Ready. Yeah. What was your favorite childhood game or toy? I spent a lot of time outside, but I did go to a daycare. Both my parents worked and I learned how to play canasta early on. And so oh playing gosh. cards and canasta at seven was like my favorite thing. And it just, I felt like such an old lady when I was like 12 and realized that like not everybody plays canasta, but yeah, that was my jam. Card games, especially canasta. I love that. I was not expecting that, but that's such a fun story. <laughs> that's like, so great. <laughs> and then I get it like my husband still makes fun of me because like in college I'd get on like the canasta game boards is like a like that was my like you know my regulation I would just that would relax me and I get so annoyed because like the old ladies were like chit chatting and I'm like no let's do this let's move it along ladies yeah no <laughs> yeah my husband makes fun of old lady games but 
Yeah. I like them. I'm here for them. <laughs> I'm just ready way ahead of time. We're just ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What was your favorite book as a kid? So many good books. I know as a really little kid, I loved The Little Engine That Could, which is funny because mm -hmm. I hate reading that book now. It's just really long and repetitive, yeah. but I loved it as a kid. I think the books that got me reading, though, were and they weren't like the lion the rich in the wardrobe or anything like that it was the mm -hmm. babysitters club and we used to get that like monthly like little plastic bag that had the books in it and i remember each month when that bag with two or three books and a pencil would come i'd sit in the bathtub and read page yeah. to page so i, I love know. that you said that that's not the same level as captain underpants but like you you know what i mean like you need i mean that, i think like an avid reader later and read i don't know the homecoming series by Cynthia Voigt and Ender's Game and mm -hmm. Redwall and all of that. But it was the Babysitter's Club that got me reading and twaddle or not, like who cares? Yes, like it was yes. I had a friend on the bus that so we went to Catholic elementary school and we were on the bus for a long time because yeah. the bus went yep. to like multiple towns and she got that. I didn't get the bag with the books, but she did. So every day she would bring the one that she had finished. So she'd finished one book on the way there and one on the way back. So I would be like next in line. And we just had this like rotation. That's like, awesome. Amy, what is it today? And we're yeah. just like both avid readers. And that just got made the bus go by so fast. Yeah. And it was such a yeah. fun thing. And okay. there really is a place for those types of books, um, especially for like our like second gradish readers. Like reading through entire series really helps build fluency and it like takes away some of the cognitive load of i have to learn the characters and the setting and like, what is this all about right. so i'm here for that and yeah. yeah and also every time you read it they pick up something else so yeah. i just think and it's just fun right if it's fun and we enjoy it like who cares i read some trashy books now too yeah. as a grown-up right like it's all good they're dessert and that's totally yeah. fine yeah yeah i love that there are beach reads yes absolutely <laughs> What I know this is a hard question, but what is your favorite book or books that you've read in the last five or so years? I went through a reading rut with COVID where I like just couldn't read. Did we talk about this on Instagram? Because I did too. I don't, the maybe. First time in I, my life, I'm not going to say I didn't read, but I think I was just so distracted that nothing yeah. could hold my d attention. I just, I couldn't and it was have. It so weird for me. It was, yeah. So I'm like getting back into reading now. The book that got me back into reading was not what I expected. It was The House by the Cerulean Sea. Oh, um, yeah, that was a good one. TJ Klein, I think that one, I was like, oh, that's right. I love reading. I forgot about that. And then I read, I don't know what I read. I feel like I was catching up on all the Oprah and Reese book clubs because everybody else had already done it. The Stars, Glory of the Stars, is that The Giver of Stars? The one with the yes. librarians on, on the horse? Yes. I'm really enjoy I'm books in a moment. And then my like brain is that was good. Cool. Check it out. Same. <laughs> I know I'm reading a lot of nonfiction these days. Live wired about like neuroplasticity in our brains. And like, that's on my list. Marianne Wolf's reader come home about like how the reading brain is changing with digital technology and the, the role that has on empathy and like how we have more empathy when we're reading like a paper book than we do when we're reading like on a screen. And it's just Isn't really that fascinating. Yeah. Bananas. When you so, yeah. said, I wanted to say, when you said the little engine that could, I also didn't like reading that one aloud, but I have such fond memories of my aunts reading it to me. And they yeah. always pointed out that the engine was a woman. I don't know if you've ever. <laughs> I think there are different versions. I feel like I've oh, seen this there? on Instagram or wherever, where it's, which version of the little engine that could did you have? Um, oh, so now really? I'm going to have to go look. Yeah. Oh I goodness. think they I'm changed it. Oh, that's interesting. I can't remember. I'm going to go look it up. That's I might've just totally made that up though. We'll find out. <laughs> Okay. What is bringing you joy right now? 
We recently moved to this area. We're in like rural-ish Connecticut, which is great because I have all the farmland, but then like we have a town green and all that too. We just put this porch thing up on our deck from like Costco. It's a like gazebo that has like screens around it. So like it's a fake built-in porch because that was not in our budget, but it's wonderful because I can go outside and it's not like rainbow plastic toys everywhere. It's like the grown-up porch that like faces the creek and you can like hear the birds. And so I really like going out there and just sitting and hearing nature and having it be quiet for and even it five screens? minutes. Does it it has screens? screens, like so mosquito you're... netting that you zip in so they don't come in. I would love that. I've, yeah. I'm constantly, I have a friend who has a she shed. It's not really, yes. she calls it that. a she, she shed, but it's really, which is funny. Her husband is a big football fan. So uh-huh. it's for football. So it has a TV in there. <laughs> And they made it from reclaimed wood and stuff. It was yeah. all, like recite, really cool, but she gets it the rest of the year. So like when it's not football season, she's out there That's nice. or listening to music and her kids are playing and stuff and she doesn't have the bugs. And then when it's football season, That's great. she doesn't like it. She can just stick them out there. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The bugs win, can win. be really bad. Yeah, they are. But- They're, yeah. It has been so fun talking to you. Thank you. This so was much awesome. For coming on. I'm so excited to be here. I've been listening to you for years and this is just, wait, she wants to talk to me. Awesome. <laughs> cool. It was so fun. I'm going to put everything that you've mentioned in the show notes, but for those who are listening right now and like on their phone, want to go yep. to your site, where can people find you on the internet? Awesome. Yeah. So I am at homespun.childhood on Instagram, and then that will take you all the places. I'm homespun childhood on the web and on YouTube. So yeah, you can find me all the different places. <laughs> All right. It's been so good talking to you. Thank you. You too. Have a great day. Yes, you too. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hey, sisters. Kate here. As a lifelong gamer, school psychologist, and homeschool mom, I have witnessed time and time again the power of play when it comes to learning. In fact, I truly believe that homeschooling can be almost all fun and games. Now, does that mean it's going to be all sunshine, rainbows, and laughter? Heck to the no way. But I do believe we could all be having a heck of a lot more fun. A playful mindset can transform your homeschool routine and your family life. The best part? You don't need an overflowing game closet to get started. You can be a game schooler today with just a deck of cards, and I'd love to show you how. That's why I created Never Bored Learning. Never Bored Learning is a private online community for creative parents and educators who embrace play-based learning and game schooling. The goal of Never Bored Learning is to play more and learn lots in the process. Your Never Bored Learning membership includes access to monthly guest speakers, live Q&As, monthly day-in-the-life family spotlights, and an ever-growing library filled with printable resources, including documentation resources, challenges, and -and print-and-play games and activities. But the very best part of NBL is the private online community forum. This is not a Facebook group, and it is hands down my favorite spot on the internet. The community is a vibrant one, filled with creative parents and educators. I wake up every morning before my kids, I pour myself that very first cup of coffee, and I hang out in the MBL community forum. It's my favorite way to start the day, and I'd love to see you there. 
If you'd like to learn more about Neverboard Learning, visit neverboardlearning.com. That's N-E-V-E-R-B-O-A-R-D-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G.com. And if you're not ready for a monthly commitment, but you're interested in getting your feet wet with game schooling, I invite you to sign up for our free seven-day game school kickstart, which you can find on mylittlepoppies.com, or enroll in our digital course, Game Schooling 101. I can't wait to show you the power that play can have on your homeschool and family life. I wish you a play-filled year, sisters. Chat soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.